0: Hello there. (laughs) We caught you. Caught me with a beverage.
1: Caught me. I have a beverage too. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening, sir.
0: Here we are to talk about the latest Supreme Court nominee, the Magic Christian. (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. That's not what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about the film, the Magic movie, Christian. the magic, Christian. That's right. I get confused so easily.
2: So, I uh, I'm taking ownership of the fact that this was this was a film that I recommended. We watch. I hadn't. I, I it's 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 been a a kind of cult favorite of mine for most of my life. Uh, I hadn't seen it probably in about fifteen years. And I'm dying to hear what you guys thought of it. And feel free to be as critical as you want, because I I have no sense of protection about it. I just have deep affection.
0: Well, when you brought it up, when you suggested it, I actually remembered very fondly watching pieces of it with you, probably when I was around 12 years old, and laughing my ass off at, at certain things. Um, So I went into it with all these incredibly fond memories. Um, Tony's, even through the glasses, I can hear, I can see Tony looking at both of us like, dudes. Dudes, so we gotta give background. We gotta give context before we start. You
1: know, I'm I'm it, freaking out. I, I, I have it, there are protocols, but I'm yeah, happy to get a
0: critical discussion of the movie <laughs> without going into the background and the pedigree and the history.
1: Guess, you know, in the off chance somebody's watching and they're lost and confused and they need a little help. Well, I can I guarantee
0: am. you that if somebody is watching this show, they are lost, confused, mm-hmm. and they need a little help.
1: Um I, I sent you a, uh, I, I sent you an email with the poster of it. I don't know if you want to show oh, it.
0: Can. Sure. I don't can. have
1: any, I didn't rip anything, but um, I, uh, I just think the poster says a lot. You know, it's uh it, it really does frame this the right way. Oh. Um, we're talking about the magic Christian from 1969, uh, directed by Joe McGrath and written by uh, the man who inspired my glasses today. Mr. Terry Southern, um, an icon, uh, a cult icon whose status is, is still growing. I think it's safe to say like he's still Terry Southern is still kind of like too hip to be even that well known. Like he's still kind of underground. It's unbelievable. Uh, anyway, this movie stars Peter Sellers and Ringo Starr and a lot of other people, including Yul Brenner. Um, Spike Milligan, uh, Graham Chapman, and John Cleese notably appear in it. John Cleese, John Cleese wrote the scenes that he appears in. Uh, I didn't, I didn't know that until this viewing.
2: He and Graham Chapman, I guess, were brought in uh, for uh, doing a, a final co- comedic polish on it after about twelve separate drafts had been written already.
1: Which I hear. Uh, I hear Peter Sellers was very competitive with Cleese and cut a lot of his stuff because, yes, he thought he was funnier than him and was very upset. And and actually, I
2: I thought he had brought them in.
1: He may have. But at the end of the at the end of the day, he just thought he was too funny and was pissed off. Um, Man, that's a great poster. Yeah, so this this is based on. For those of you out there who don't know who Terry Southern is, this movie is kind of best explained by explaining who he is. This is based on a novel that he wrote in nineteen in the nineteen like early nineteen fifties or yeah, I think in the early fifties. Same title, Um, and he was became a a cult figure uh, on the scene. He was a beloved beloved author of the kind of counterculture movement. Um and knew was attached to a lot of the beat guys and and uh, uh the beat poets and Ginsburg and people like that. Um I Corso? Did he hang out with Corso? He probably knew Corso. I would imagine he he did. I, I um, had to Corso a couple and and this movie is like a uh I would say it's you know the, the, the plot is simply uh, uh about a uh, a very rich man, the richest man in the world, played by Peter Sellers, who uh, suddenly, on a whim, adopts a fully grown man who is played by Ringo Starr, who he meets in the park. He's a homeless man that he meets in the park, and he adopts him. In the very beginning of the movie, we never really find out why he chooses Ringo, but he feels to have some kind of connection to him. None of this appears in the book, by the way. This is all just the movie. There's no uh, there's no young man Grand in the in the book,
2: I love that the movie uh, that, that it doesn't even really like even the even they don't really give a shit about how no. all that happens. It's
1: no, just, they don't. They blow right <laughs> by it. It's
2: <there's>, <laughs> playing over the whole thing. It's like a montage. Yeah, one of the most important relationships in the film is established. They don't give a crap about it at all. He's just yeah. walking the park and. Everything is kind of dubbed from a, from a long telephoto lens.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of dialogue and you can't understand a word of it. You yeah, can't the, hear any of it. Because
2: and, the next, and the next thing you know, he has a son and it's, it's a grown Ringo who immediately starts calling him dad
1: everywhere. Right. Yeah. So the plot, such as it is, centers around these two ne'er-do-wells, rich, they've got nothing better to do basically than to uh, follow the business plan, which is to basically mess with people is to basically offer them money and see what the price is that each person they run into has for whatever stunt or gag they can kind of come up with that, that is usually very compromising to the person. For instance, they find uh, Spike Milligan plays a, a, a traffic cop who's giving them a ticket. And uh, as to get out of the ticket, they offer him something like a thousand British pounds to eat the ticket in front of them, which he which he does. So they find everybody's price. And they talked to all kinds of people, business people and famous people and set a lot of people up. And there's no real plot other than that. The Magic Christian is the name of a boat that they get on as a big cruise liner. It's a very celebrated cruise that everybody's going to take. And uh, they get on that about an hour and 10 minutes into the movie, into an hour and a half movie. You don't really know what the, the Magic Christian is almost until then. It's 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 quite something so anyway that's the setup that's what the movie is uh
2: it's complete anarchy um but i I love the extent to which it just the the overlap of pop culture from that time and the and the um the underlying elements of of you know war and atrocities and social struggle and stuff going on like people playing insane parlor games with with vietnam atrocities being played on the tv in the background
1: and- yeah ringo playing the oboe like the recorder and peter sellers just playing the harp and then yeah. b- behind them on a screen is war atrocities yeah they're now I- I- what was um do you remember the first time you saw this you both i mean did you see this when you were kids in the theater i think, or-
2: I, think I saw it in the theater when i was like 13 or 14 years old and, and um I mean, it, it, it. One of the one of the reasons, as I've gotten older, that I have affection for this movie and movies like this is because, getting a distance from the age that I was when these came out, I'm just amazed at what I was drawn to as a kid. You know, the fact that the fact that this movie and and Putney Swope, which came out the same year, and would actually make an interesting double bill. <laughs>
1: Well, they're very similar. I mean, they're very, very similar in many ways. Yeah. yeah. It's
2: like how you know, what would the counterculture heroes do if they suddenly had you know uh, infinite funds and power to, to turn everything on its head? And um, and I, I was I at thirteen years of age, I was really drawn to these kinds of comedies. I I I just loved them. And and uh, and this was one of those. And the fact that Ringo was in it you know at, at, at my age then it was that in and of itself was uh, an attraction because i was such an insane beatles fan um but and, and a peter sellers fan for that matter but
0: i remember just laughing hysterically with you when you showed me the uh the pheasant hunting scene uh oh. Or the duck hunting scene and laughing at the not, nothing like a good clean kill. Hey eh, Henry, after they've just he's blown the ducks out of the sky with a howitzer.
1: <laughs> it's kind of constructed in some ways. I mean, there's a lot of movies that we'll probably mention that it that it's reminiscent of because it it, it is in a classification of film. There are films like this movie, but. It's very early. It's a very early example of this kind of movie. It's it's pretty early. But I mean, if you if movies like the Kentucky Fried Movie as an American example from the 70s, that's this, it's the same vein. It's it's it, it, there's a there's main characters, but there's no there's just vignettes. And oftentimes they include new characters that you've never met. So there's something that feels kind of like it's sketch sketches put together. And some of them are sketches that were put together um i uh I, you know i my, shall i start with with the with these with i mean i i i also have a lot of affection for this movie but i i i, I feel like um the only per the, the most essential person involved who who needed to be an anarchist wasn't an anarchist and that was that was joseph mcgrath the director i i don't I, I really wish this movie had been directed by somebody like richard lester or somebody well, with you know yeah
2: it's it's like it's like uh a film student that that watched richard lester's movies and wanted yeah to, but didn't really know how
1: yeah and it felt a little bit like an older guy maybe uh i mean joe mcgrath directed the C- casino royale like he he he's kind of british studio guy you know and that was a very structured system with very stodgy ways of working and you know only a couple years before kubrick made um uh dr strange love there based on terry southern's well not based on it but terry southern wrote that version of the script and so Uh, Kubrick had a lot of trouble with the British crews early on because they just didn't they were very stuck in how regimented and how they worked and he wanted to kind of think outside the box. So I felt like the crew and this director was probably maybe a little older than the writers and the and the creators and the actors who were real anarchists, but he he, they seemed to be trying to maintain a kind of control that they didn't really even have to. Yeah. Um, Do you agree with that? I mean,
2: I didn't feel it necessarily so much as a, a, an effort to maintain control as just not having a, 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 not having the stylistic chops to, 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 to capture what, what, what they had in their midst, you know, cause yeah, genius people involved.
1: Yeah. It seemed a little bit like guessing about what the kids are going to like sometimes. Like, there was some stuff that was right on and probably very out of the Terry Southern Canon and then stuff that was like, well, we'll just have some transvestites. And that's funny. Like, no, why? What's what's there was an obsession about kind of like weird, uh, like uh, cross-dressing, but, but not in the British tradition. It was like, they were trying to find what the kids wanted. Yeah. And, And some of it now did all of the jokes work back when you saw it as a kid or were there, do you, I mean spots it, that you were, it, it, there by. were
2: there weren't individual jokes so much that were working for me as 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 how much of a monument to we're not paying attention to the rules uh, the, the, that that permeated the film so you know as now we, we're I feel like we're so inured to counterculture stuff because because so much of it is contained in the culture itself. But but back then it really was like to see a movie where you just had no freaking idea what was going to happen next, even if it made no sense. But you know, to, yeah. Listen, I I I tune in for an hour just to watch a you know a, a, a cross-dressing chanteuse sing to Roman Polanski
0: at a at a.
1: <laughs> Especially if that chanteuse was Yul Brenner.
0: It have to be <laughs> Yul Brenner. Yeah, that was
1: pretty. Uh, pretty that was startling. There, there were things that I, I can't unsee. That, that and that's Mad-a-boy. one of them. That's, <laughs> that's a sequence that I don't think needed to be in the film, and, and I'm, I will, I will never feel differently. But
0: oh, I, it's one of my favorite moments in the movie. Was it? Yeah
1: okay we have a very different view of of this movie i
0: I
2: love when they when they early on in the film when they go to see the production of hamlet and they kind of fight their way to their seats and and act three has begun (laughs) and lawrence harvey comes up to uh to begin the the soliloquy and he goes to be ringo says i've seen it
1: (laughs) I, I do think that what's you know I I love Ringo I'm 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 probably I don't I think he might be my favorite Beatle I, I just because I it's not just because you know it's it's uh, maybe being contrary I just think he's great I love his attitude in films I love his persona in all of his movies and I love that this feels like. This could have been one of his side trips in Hard Day's Night. Like he might have left the set of Hard Day's Night and done this stuff, and then come back to be in the band or something, you know?
2: He went off to go find grandpa and stuff. Just a (laughs) sideline.
1: Now, have you read the book? No. Uh, I I read. uh, I started reading it the other day. It's available. Oh, we lost our we lost our brother.
2: Lost Matthew.
1: It's just us now, man.
2: Listen, how, how does he seem to you?
1: I don't know. I've been worried, frankly. I'm glad we can talk about it.
2: He just comes and goes, and there's no way to even can't,
1: can't him. track him. I just I feel like sometimes he's not even listening.
2: <laughs> He'll be back on in a second. I hope
0: you.
1: so. Oh, I I pressed a bad Sorry. button. You oh, did. Back. We were scared. Um.
2: We uh, we said all kinds of things about you.
1: Oh, good. So,
2: you, you turn your head just slightly. We'll be able to see your eyes or the other direction. Not that far. There you go. Not 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 even that far. But it's like nothing but reflection.
1: I like it like this.
2: That's good. Yeah.
1: So I was reminded about uh, of our conversation last week when uh, we were talking about. You know, just because something has inspired a lot of good movies doesn't mean that that it's a good movie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, but if something's inspired a lot of bad movies. That-
1: um, then it means it, it's important to talk about. Uh, but I do feel the same way in that, you know, I still find it fascinating and worth talking about how inspiring this movie must have been. Two people uh, afterwards. I mean, there's so many things that I feel like you can see right away. There's a lot of like clockwork orange in the beginning of this movie. Yeah. I feel like there's there's a lot of, um uh, uh, well, interestingly, Head came out like a year before the monkeys movie. Wasn't yeah. that like a, I think that was in 68. And did you, have you already seen that?
2: I never, I, you know, I, I'm ashamed to say I've never seen Head really this comes from somebody that had the poster of head in his bedroom at, at that time
1: that's very honest of you um the monkeys were a good band and that's that movie was a that was a fun movie very similar to the i mean this is like a very this is kind of was like an american v- version of this kind of thing um
2: you can feel the drugs flying around everywhere in this film too like it's like uh, you just know that people were like Tripping their brains out and stoned out of their mind. I just
1: wish the director had done some. That's all. Yeah,
2: yeah. There's some great. I love some of the great. There, there, there's just some wonderful lines in it. I love. I love, uh, I love uh, or just the phrase when uh, when Peter Sellers is addressing the board of directors on the on the train. And I love the train reveal. I love. Fantastic. They, yeah. I love that they play that whole scene in that in that boardroom. Yeah. Train comes to a stop, you realize they've been on a train the whole time. Yeah. But, but at one point, um, at one point, Peter Sellers uh, uses the phrase common Zen savvy. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was actually cool because that kind of corporate nonsense like you know aphorism stuff art of war crap i yeah. thought it came in a lot later so this was like very cutting edge about how modern boardrooms were run by modern hip guys i, I mean there are there, there i was i was saying before, actually when matthew disappeared and i still don't know why you left and i'm concerned I, I, i'm concerned the since the news from this morning anytime anybody leaves a zoom call i get nervous i think so it's
0: I, tonight we all need to stand up
1: just to demonstrate. I think it's not too much to ask just to not disappear onto another call and come back. Okay. I,
2: I, I, my introduction to that story was a Facebook uh, post that, that described uh, the news, the news story that described what had happened, and it said that all the callers were involved in a uh, an election simulation, and I, I responded. I just said. Election simulation. I thought you said.
0: <laughs> oh goodness! For, for anybody who's watching uh, months or years from now, what we're talking about is the Jeffrey Epstein story that just broke yesterday. Um, and if you don't know what that is, Google you can.
1: It. You can. It'll be on Google. Google it'll it, be there.
0: The expression. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, yeah so let's just keep on camera Uh, i was talking about we're we're talking about the book thank you thank you protocol Protocol. (laughs) um
0: hand check every every so often you just get to call hand check
1: (laughs) (laughs) so uh i I started reading the book the other day and um was fascinated because i now i'm ashamed that i haven't read Uh, all of his stuff. I've read excerpts and essays and stuff, but I mean, he's the kind of writer that I'm embarrassed. Like I'm embarrassed that I haven't read all of his stuff. Uh, He's reminds me of a lot of writers. I love Um, absurdists. What's that? He wrote
2: wrote candy.
1: He wrote candy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He co-wrote candy. Um, And you can feel there's you can really feel him in this movie. I I think there's so many things that are zingers and absurdist things that you know come from the mind of the writer of Doctor Strangelove. It's just you feel that. But what's so fascinating about the book is that uh, it's it it's not British and it takes place solidly in in the United States in in the 50s. So it's a completely different um, venue and feel to it. It's a little bit more like Vonnegut, you know. I think. Yeah. Um, and he's the kind of guy in the book that you, I feel like you'd cast, you know, uh, John Houston in it, in the book, you know, uh, that kind of American, you know, businessman cunning, maybe completely out of his mind.
2: Yes.
1: Um, so I just thought it was fascinating to trans, you know, how they transplanted it to London. And I knew it was because Peter Sellers was a big fan of the book and he loved the book. And apparently, um, I think this was the book that, made Kubrick hire Terry Southern to work on strange love. Peter Mm -hmm. Sellers gave it to him before they were working on the movie they met and Kubrick loved it. And I think that helped them figure out he wanted to make a comedy out of it too. Um,
2: For a film that is this hand fistedly directed and and in spite of how much great stuff there is in it, 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 there is, there are times where it's going like, Jesus Christ, like, and and you know that a lot of the fixes and the stuff that's weird in it was stuff that they had to arrive at in the editing room too. Right. My feeling was that they just didn't get the footage that they need yeah. for for any kind of traditional approach to some of the scenes. Um it is amazing like how many geniuses intersect in this movie. Like yeah. you know,
1: Jeffrey Unsworth. Yeah, uh, uh, um Paul McCartney
2: writing songs for the film, Bringo involved with a bad finger recording that song, uh, uh, and and some of the people we've mentioned, you know, you, you know, Yul Brenner and and uh,
1: Richard Attenborough,
2: yeah, Richard Attenborough, Patrick Cargill, who who, um, who plays the um, the um, or Cargill, I don't know how you pronounce it, but but he played the. Um, the me, the auction the the leader of the auction yes you know, when the when the finger comes up and point pokes him yes. in the nose and but but uh i remember actually meeting him and being around him cuz he was in um uh, he was in dad's version of inspector clouseau
1: oh interesting yeah okay
2: um and um i don't know i love and i love seeing graham chapman show up he graham was un- yeah uncredited in it but yes
1: uh, it was it's interesting how there's there's things that you can see that what was in the mix it with this group in london at the time like how you know stuff like terry gilliam's work you can see connection to brazil and stuff like with the animated car commercial yeah i
2: totally like terry gilliam
1: yeah um i really honestly couldn't get Putney Swope out of my mind, and I, 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 I be, you know, I mean, we know Bob Downey Sr. and and um, I mean, I've been, I, he's, you know, I'm a, I'm a beloved that man and his work. That I think Putney Swope was like my awakening to this kind of movie at all. You saw this, you saw this one. I saw Magic Christian a lot later, but Putney Swope. I wonder if they, I wonder if he read this book and was also inspired. I never, I never asked him that, but it'd be amazing to find out.
2: The fact that they were both made the same year is amazing. It's
1: amazing. Yeah, it really is. Um,
2: And, and, and they, not only in terms of the subject matter, but sort of the, the, you know, a little bit of the making it up as you go along technical aspects of the film.
1: Yeah, very much so. Yeah. I felt like, you know, I, Bob Downey, always seems to have always had because he felt like he was the lead anarchist, like <laughs> he was the top anarchist there. So he, as a director, he, he was perfectly tuned to make those movies, not in a way that this director is not, I don't think he knows how to, but um, I was also really reminded of Wes Anderson, uh, particularly in the setup of the movie. I mean, he, I would imagine he does, He's a huge fan. I could see like, I could see this being, uh, it's a Wes Anderson story really uh-huh. you know adopting this kid out of nowhere this you know um yeah
2: there's a little royal tenenbaum thing.
1: yeah like gene hackman could play that part could play a uh you know yeah A, a mr grand
2: <sighs> another line i loved in the movie was uh, i think it was also in the boardroom where some one of the executives pitches something and um uh, and peter Sellers says uh you should try that with an American accent. <laughs> that was an American accent. Seller's go. hmm, what's going on over
1: there? I love how he how he just loses interest. Like something goes wrong with that meeting, but inside his head and he just kind of turns off on it and it's it's everything goes bad, but you don't really know why.
2: And then starts weeping about his son. Yeah. Before he kicks them all off the train.
1: It gives them a map to get home, which is yeah. brilliant. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: I, I what's your favorite? Uh, do you have a favorite scene, Matt, Matthew, or or um
0: my favorite moment in the in the whole movie is when Peter Sellers is reading The Wind in the Willows, the Ringo Star in bed, and showing him the picture of Badger. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and and I, but, but and also that was I was watching the movie with mom and I and I <laughs> suddenly it was like oh look they're, they're reading they're reading the Wind in the Willows. <laughs> <laughs> what did she thinking? for those of you who don't know our, our mother has written some some children's books similar to Wind in the Willows. Yes. So I knew that moment would,
1: would she connected sp- to the film? Her. she connected to it that's great
0: um i also like peter sellers wrapping the bacon around his head for no reason whatsoever um and also there's an actor in this who who i love um graham stark has a very small part in this he is the um other waiter he's the waiter in the scene at the at the restaurant with the. <laughs> The, with the littler guy, the little guy, is fantastic. Who, who has some who also appears in in a lot of the the Clouseau movies. Yes, uh, but he also has one of my favorite scenes ever in the movie Victor Victoria, where he plays a, a disgruntled waiter who's who's being mistreated by by Robert Preston and and Julie Andrews, and it's similar. And he's just got that that British. disgruntled face he's soundtrack waiter and he's spectacular
1: he's really fantastic
0: i I was also fascinated through the whole movie i mean it, it it's a movie about about shattering icons and about capitalism being bad and what you know what kind of literally by the end what kind of shit will you eat for money um but the, the some of the racial stuff and the way the 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 disparity between some of the the racial taboos that they were in a progressive way trying to break and do something good and then the horrible language and references they use when they're talking about the weed and every I mean it's just it's pretty extraordinary you know?
1: it, it it is and my my feeling about that not you know, I got to read the whole book and I'd love to read iterations of the screenplay. Like, honestly, that would be a great project to read various versions of this script. But I feel like Terry Southern is the kind of person that has, um, and Laura Bush has a question, did Badfinger have any part in this? Badfinger just sang the song, right?
2: They they sang a couple of songs, Mm. yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, But, um. I forget where I was going with that. I, I totally got sidetracked by Badfinger.
0: We were talking about the racial stuff, and oh the- yeah, that Terry
1: Southern. I feel like if Terry Southern had had the kind of control over it that maybe he'd like to have had, those that kind of humor would have worked in the like. We would have always been able to track maybe the irony that he was using, but here it was such a mess that they were doing things that like they were trying to be you could see them trying to be open-minded and trying to do something, you know, uh, kind of hip and, and with it. And then they'd do something that was just, it would kind of tank what they had just done. Um, I also
0: loved, um, the first multiracial head transplant. Yeah. Which seemed to me to be the prequel <laughs> to best friends swapping heads, the wonderful movie that you did years later
2: with, with Greg Benson. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I had forgotten about that, but but it's interesting that a, a film that was so iconic for me would, would pay, pay, pay for mine. I uh, I love the uh, <laughs> the news report of the dog show.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. The guy from Africa He's bring, it's a, actually a, like a lion yeah yeah jaguar yeah. do
0: you have, a, do, you have a, do either of you have a favorite line because i have a favorite line in the whole movie i
1: i do i have a few i have a few things i can't decide my favorite I, my personal the interchange that kills me probably most is is the nipple is the nipple exchange is, is when he says do well, you believe that that words have a, <laughs> I forget right. how he sets it up, corruptive influence on people. Yeah. And Peter Celeste says, I don't know. And he turns to his aunt and he goes, nipple. And he <laughs> looks, <laughs> he gets no discernible, <laughs> no discernible physical change. <laughs> I just thought that was incredible. <laughs> um, and then Cleese has a line that. Junk, I my personal favorite sequence, I think, is the auction sequence. I think that is pr- one of the better uh constructed parts of the movie somehow. And I think Don't Cleese think the is python. Very Python. Yeah. You can feel Cleese's influence on the writing, and Cleese is really funny in it. Holding his own with Peter, Sellers. I mean he must have been nervous, he's a very young guy working with Peter Sellers must have been quite a day for him, actually. But he's hysterical in it and um he has a line where at first he's very snobby and he he doesn't want he doesn't think that peter sellers has money and he's not going to talk to him and then peter sellers says well i am going to supersede all of these offers at sotheby's and say 30,000 pounds for this piece of work and totally ch- ch- chokes and he realizes he's talking to a billionaire and he he gets very obsequious and um peter sellers keeps calling this rembrandt this french painting by these french people <laughs> Cleese has a line where he goes. He's trying to be very polite about it, and he says, "Well, Rembrandt was, in a sense, Dutch." <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love the line uh, actually in that news report about the about the jaguar being smuggled into the dog show. But the uh, the newscaster says, <laughs> "A new breed of dog." Made- <laughs> A spectacularly unfortunate
0: debut. Yeah, you know... My favorite line was in the box at the boxing match when he says, the crowd seems to be... The announcer says, the crowd seems to be sickened by the sight of no blood. I have that that tone too.
1: I felt like that line really typifies this movie in a lot of ways that line really does kind of like solidify what it's about (laughs) you know it's for all its flaws man i mean here we are laughing like just reliving it's so relivable these moments in it There are just so many pricelessly funny bits well, what's interesting
0: is that, you know, I have these memories of watching it with you, Adam. I think I must have been 14 or 15. It came out on uh, on a videotape and 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 you said, you got to watch this. And I, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I remember these, I remember the boxing match. I remember the, the shooting the ducks out of the sky yeah. um, and a, a couple of other little things that I remember. And then watching it last night, I, I sort of sat there watching, just actually watching the movie, kind of like, and and then almost as soon it was, as it was over, I started enjoying it, it, it <laughs> if that makes any sense. Like, watching it, I was mystified, I could see these bits that were funny, but I was mystified about what this whole dish was that I was being served. Yeah because I was trying to understand it as a as a as a dit, as a cohesive dish and I didn't and then the minute it was over I just started remembering each little bite and each, every little bite of it cracks me up and I think that's what you're talking about with the director that he didn't know how to turn it into a a cohesive dish
2: yeah
1: yeah, yeah that's that's Hand-check. Okay. I definitely feel like, um, yeah, it's. I think it's a prime example of, of a director's contribution to something. Like, uh, if you see, I'm trying to think of him, like, what's, the, what's, a, what is this exactly like? I mean, is it most like Putney Swope? Is it most like? Putney Swope and Palace and
0: It's like Putney
2: Swope meets the party, almost.
1: Yeah. With a little mash thrown in, like a little bit. With that kind of, you know, the gruesomeness thrown in, the kind of really heavy political statements with the violence that they were showing in the real footage,
2: and and, uh, and uh, a hard day's night,
1: yeah, with, with yeah, all of those movies, you can you can feel like a real directorial vision and hand behind it, even if the, even if it's a kind of a crazy drugged out vibe that you get from it. And this one, this one seemed like he was uh, treading water a little bit with just how to exactly how to make this movie.
2: It's it's part of, weirdly enough, it's like, uh, it's part of what I have affection for the movie for is, is some of the ineptness in it. it. Because with the passage of time, it's just like they got all these unbelievably great people together and spent a fortune of money and, and a crew and, and devoted, you know, a year of their lives to do this thing. Yes.
1: Yeah.
2: it's just a big, stingy, yeah. but very funny mess. You know?
1: Yeah, truly, truly. Some of Raquel Welch's best work in this film. Wow. That's a sequence that doesn't make the grade today. <laughs> Not really going to be in the new remake of this movie.
0: <laughs>
1: you <know? laughs> I don't think so. Um, you know, I I also think that you know, there's a it reaches for moments too, like I think it had one of the things I feel like disappointed in the director on this one, and I I I and I totally with you, Adam. Like, there I love the mess of it, and there's certain movies I love because they're a mess, you know, and it's like it doesn't totally work but the, the that's kind of the magic of it sometimes but i feel like he he almost pulled it together near the end where they have the um the big vat of manure and horse urine and, and yeah. <laughs> blood that they put the money in right yeah. which is it's the first chapter in the Terry Southern book by oh, the really? way yeah that's something that the main character does as a young man that's the, one of the first things he does as a stunt huh. in the 30s And so this is the end of this movie, but I felt like that was, that was a powerful, that that was really powerful. That was really disgusting and, and, and kind of like the kind of punchy counterculture uh, imagery and thing that you'd see in a film that really, that really hurts, but, but is really funny and caustic at the same time. And I feel like he, he, he could have made this movie into, one of the best movies of the sixties, like ever. And, and that not being able to quite do it makes me sad because I think it could, as it is, it's a great cult, crazy mess of a movie where it actually could have been, you know, up there with, with iconic stuff, like, like, uh, you know, uh, if it had had a sure hand on it, but, but again, like part of the, part of the joy of it is I know I have movies like that where, the fact that they're a mess is kind of what I love about them and, and uh, their shagginess kind of makes it, makes them work, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: We haven't mentioned Christopher
0: Lee yet.
1: Also, What what day was that? Would the producer was like, we got to get more happening on the boat. There's not enough happening. Yeah. And That's they were like, Christopher me. Lee's at Sheffield studios today. Let's just see if this is somebody know him, Peter, can you continue to talk to him? I mean, even he. I was actually sad for Christopher Lee in that, in that, because even he, I think, deserved more respect than just to be Mister Dracula, Mister Vampire for two shots. <laughs> you know, like, maybe,
2: maybe that was his decision, though. Maybe
1: he didn't want to have anything to do with it. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I'll give you two setups, and then I've got to be back on my other phone.
1: <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, Peter Sellers. I saw some interviews with him. Uh, we watched some stuff, kind of later interviews around the time he did "Being There," which was near the end of his life, I guess. What an odd fellow, man! What an odd not what you'd not what you'd expect really from from him.
2: Did you knowing see his work, Cabot interview that he did.
1: I've never seen that interview.
2: It's a it's a great interview, I and mean, he he gets Cabot gets him to do um, a variety of accents, you know and um and he's interesting because he 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 had such a, a kind of refined um affect personally to himself um that that you almost are, are like slightly uncomfortable when someone's saying to him like you know do a cockney accent yeah. do, this, do that you say like you don't talk to an english gentleman <laughs> like that but then the minute the minute anybody asks him to do it his eyes light up and he, he just Yeah gets riff yeah you know? Do you know that that um, my 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 first wife Linda um, worked with Peter Sellers in a a series of TWA commercials?
1: That sounds and, familiar, but I, I I think I did know this. Wow! Did she, she?
2: She was an she was an actress then, and uh, and is and was a yoga teacher, or just getting into becoming a yoga teacher at that point. And Peter Sellers was um, a um, uh, yoga aficionado, he, he I think attributed it to helping save his life after he had had a heart attack, and uh, and so it became the basis of a, a bunch of conversations between the two of them, and 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 Linda actually said that that she, he was sort of hitting on her a little bit,
1: right? Really? Uh,
2: but she but it was she was playing a uh, flight attendant on the plane in a series of TWA commercials where he played. Um, people of different nationalities, an Italian filmmaker and, a, um, and, um, and so she, she actually ended up spending quite a bit of time with him. And, and if you want to see those commercials, they're, they're, they're actually on uh, YouTube.
1: You can oh, really? Them. Oh, I'd love to see those. Oh,
2: really? and, and you'll see in, in some of them, you'll see Linda in there. She, she's,
1: How cool. Yeah. Oh my God. I didn't know these were available anywhere. Did she say, uh, uh other than him being a bit lechy, what he was like?
2: She didn't even describe him as all that lechy. I mean, uh, he 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 wasn't creepy about it.
1: Okay. Was,
2: like, sort of expressing his his interest, but um, she actually said that he was charming, but 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 odd. Yeah. That it, it was um. It, it was hard to know who the real person under there really was it was everything was a little bit of a layered yeah
1: i've heard that about him i've heard that he was uh kind of didn't know really who he was unless he was playing a character and then he was very comfortable but outside that didn't really he was apparently a big loner like didn't really didn't hang out with anybody Sure,
0: Michael, Michael Myers kind of vibe too. Who's yeah. very, like hanging out with Mike. You're like, where's
1: Mike? Who is this guy? Like, I don't get to know him at all. Yeah. yeah. Where's Mike?
2: Yeah. Being, being there probably appealed to him for personal reasons as well. Yeah.
1: Just... I would think. Um, I, you know, it's weird because like this, it it's it's a hard movie to talk about kind of because it's like all the things that you want to talk about are stuff that you kind of just like like let's show this clip and here's this line and you know um well, we don't
0: no- have to talk about it. Nobody's paying us. So we can
1: do whatever we we can talk
0: about other things if we feel like it.
1: Okay, I I wasn't <laughs> suggesting that, but I I'm open.
0: <laughs> Jeffrey Tubin. <laughs> <Yeah>, Jack. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, it's so embarrassing! Oh, it's so it's
0: bad. Good. Oh boy! But you know, on the other side, there's Giuliani and a 15 year old girl. So you know,
1: what are you? I, I'm interested to see that new Borat I movie.
2: I haven't heard about
1: this. Oh, you really?
0: This the preview of the new Borat movie. A little clip got released of. um they have this 15-year-old girl interviewing Giuliani, and at the end of the interview, she flirts. Apparently, I haven't seen it, but apparently she flirts with him and gets him to come back to her hotel room. Oh, God almighty. And he's putting, he lies down on the bed and puts one of his hands down his pants. Now he's claiming that he was tucking in his shirt because it got messed up when they When were, you lie down on the bed. No, it something to do with taking the mic off or whatever. Well, he had to reach way down there to get the shirt adjusted.
2: He was just adjusting his left Parnas. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: <laughs> oh, it's good times. Good times. <clears throat> oh Lord.
2: Well, Lord. that's the that's one other thing I will say about this movie is that seeing you know what it was skewering and the. There's a little montage at one point of, of what's on the news, and it's it's just one uh, demonstration being cracked down on, and heads being cracked open, and and water cannons being used on people, and and uh, protests of the Vietnam War, and and the the. Uh, the, the the Viet Cong suspect having his brains blown out. You know? Yeah,
1: and and you know homophobia in the culture and all kinds yeah. of stuff. They were addressing all, all, a lot of issues.
2: And 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 it's just like you know that was 1969. It was like 60 years ago. What the not? No, that's not true. It was 50 years ago. Yeah, and and, and, and what 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 the fuck has changed? It's just like you know it's all just the same.
1: Not enough. Yeah. Even Ringo has not changed at all, really. True. He's very, very similar to what he was then. I like Ringo. I love Ringo. Honestly, like Ringo, without, without irony, like I, 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 I genuinely enjoy his, his work in movies. Like I think he's, I love him in Hard Day's Night, Ringo's Sojourn, and that, that's a big movie for me. I like Hard Day's Night is, I worship that movie. And, and, Richard Lester is an unsung... I mean, Soderbergh's definitely tried to hook that guy up, but he needs more love because he did a lot of stuff that didn't I get... um
2: uh, screened uh, Robin and Marion for Michelle. She had never seen it.
1: Oh, um, oh no, uh, well, that's a... That's
2: a wonderful Lester movie.
1: It's, a, it's, it's incredible. I mean, the Three Musketeers films are great, but if all he did was Hard Day's Night you could kind of mic drop on that and be like yeah, i changed cinema history forever good night see you later you know yeah. and he'd never made a film before he'd been an advertising guy before that he so he basically
2: created the music video yeah
1: too. yes all of that just incredible and um and was part of it like you could tell he his taste was you know as as much a part of that as the as the beatles were or whoever you know was calling the shots from the record company um do you
2: remember the interview I did with you uh, as D'Artagnan? In, in
1: the yes. Years? No. I remember. I do remember the mozzarella sword. I remember many, many elements from that, and do I remember
2: one of my favorite moments is when I, I asked you if, if, how you felt about Raquel, working with Raquel Welch. Yes. And uh, and and you were so young that you didn't you didn't you were trying to wing it. You said like i uh, i really liked him and i said "No, no, no. <laughs> it was, it's not a him it's Raquel, it's, the, it's the woman you, you and and you just hear me say you know the one with the and you're like oh yeah <laughs>
1: um i uh yes well i was i was you were i was young i was like 17 years old i didn't know a lot <laughs>
2: Mozzarella
1: sword. Ah, oh, well, so you know, Magic Christian, Beatles, Ringo. Were you a Beatles fan, Matthew, or were you a Beatles fan? Because Adam was a Beatles fan. No, I I, I like the Beatles. Big so you're not a Beatles fan. That's a that's that's the that's the way that a Beatles fan doesn't answer that question. Yeah, I'm i I'm a Beatles fan. What what do you what do you mean? Music? The Beatles rock band yeah i like them (laughs) um
0: uh yeah the beatles the dave clark five i'm really into that whole scene
1: i just didn't know i mean you know
2: conversation is over (laughs) (laughs) what about the cow sills you left out the cow sills
1: electric prunes man yeah
0: there you go um now, James Taylor wrote the soundtrack to my life more than the Beatles did. I'm sure, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, Beatles are great. Beatles are, they wrote, they were a good band. Yeah, good songs. I, I love the two Beatles songs in this movie. They were great. They were a couple of the best Beatles songs I've ever heard in this movie. I did always think these were Beatles songs.
2: Well, they, they kind of are. They're just—they're just performed by other people. But it's like a Beatles cover song.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, literally, I would be like, "Oh, the Beatles is on the radio," when everybody else would be like, "No, that's a different band, completely."
0: Well, that's what I thought the same thing. There was a Dave Clark Five song that I, my whole life till about six years ago, thought was the Beatles.
1: Which really? one? Um. We're the Dave Clark Five. You.
0: Give me one kiss and I'll be happy.
1: Be- that's the Beatles, right? Yeah, yeah, it's the Dave Clark Five. Uh, I was I was always a bit more of a Kinks fan. I think myself. Uh huh. Not that anybody asked or cared. Which,
0: which song?
1: Which which songs of the Kinks?
0: Now you have to sing them for us. I said now, sing the Dave Clark Five.
1: I think I'm a, I'm a I'm a Kinks fan because I, I, I Ray Davies is the only like guy from that universe I I ever met. I met him and he was super cool, and he uh, he was drinking alone at a bar that I used to frequent on the Upper East Side, uh, Upper West Side. And um,
0: you never went to a bar on the Upper
1: East Side. Yes, I did. I lived on the Upper East Side, so I trust me went to bars on the Upper East Side. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, uh, and Ray Davies was, I, I was, it was a friend of mine's, uh, was having a birthday that, that night and we were all a bunch of us were having some, some drinks and, um, my friend, uh, it, Don Lynetta was there, Don, Sam Hollander. I think it was Sam's birthday. And Don went over to, uh, Ray Davies at the, at the bar and said, Mr. Davies, I, I, you know, I love you. You're amazing. My friend's having a birthday. Would you. And he came over and he said hello, and he was like, "Hey, what's up?" And he talked to people for a second. He was totally, totally like a normal, just like a just a regular beer guy having a beer.
2: I love that story. He was great. Well, here's to Ray Davies.
1: He's not in this movie. He, he would have been good in this.
0: He could have been in the riot scene on the boat, and we'd never know.
1: Would not have had a clue. I like he, that uh, the. Uh, it was a pretty good John Lennon uh, pseudo cameo there. That looked like him, John Lennon.
0: And then they also have the uh, the, the Jackie O uh, look alike getting onto the boat. They have a couple of lookalikes getting on the boat.
1: John Lennon was scheduled to do it, in fact, but he, he there was a scheduling problem, and he he didn't he wasn't able to. But he really? was gonna he was gonna do was like, it.
2: Yeah. Wilfred Hyde White as the captain is wonderful.
1: Oh, my oh he's great! Yeah. Oh yeah, fantastic. He you was. Know, well, sorry. No, I was just gonna say he was he was in on it. Like even one of the older guys in it was like totally hip to what was going on.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 that's the other thing I love about the film is these like these old veterans who, you know, it's like it wasn't that big elite from you know how smashed they all were on stage, <laughs> yeah. you know, in the, in the West End to to like since you're since you're fucking yourself up this way and acting why don't you come over and do this movie yeah
0: us? exactly oh, yeah
2: my pleasure
1: exactly <laughs> <laughs> yes
0: that
2: was my call.
1: yes hallucinating uh, on stage i've done it for 30 course. years <laughs>
2: <laughs> one of the things about ringo i always felt it was that he was the only one of the beatles that always seemed to be walking around with a little sense of of uh how lucky he, he was! Totally, right? I, and he, exactly. And he's never lost that. He's always seemed to have profound yeah. gratitude for being in the right place at the right time.
0: Yeah. Because after
2: all, like Paul McCartney, someone in an interview with I, I think it was McCartney, it may have been Lennon, but uh, they were they were asked interviewing him, and they said, you know, do you feel do you feel that Ringo Starr is the the best drummer in rock and roll? Oh. And, the, and the answer was, Ringo Starr isn't even the best drummer in the Beatles. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I've heard and I've heard this argument for so many years and there's different drummers that come to baffer Ringo though and are like, "Dude, no, I mean, you can't you can't he, mess with him.
2: He was a genius and he had a feel unlike any other drummer that's ever lived. He, yeah. I, I I I bow at his feet."
0: But I agree.
2: I do, I do love the anecdotes about
0: him. It's but, yeah. Speaking of good insults too, Lawrence Harvey um who place that
1: Hamlet in this
0: plays Hamlet has one of the best bad review lines ever. Where do you know this one? Where he was a critic referred to Lawrence Harvey. He said, "Lawrence Harvey is the seventh greatest living actor of Lithuanian extraction." (laughs) (laughs) Um.
1: Lawrence Harvey, who was other than Manchurian candidate, I'm having trouble knowing like figuring out where I, what movies I've seen him in.
0: And wait, we have a serious question. What were the cultural effects of these types of black comedy on culture as we experienced it, intended or not? Well, it's sort of what we've been
2: talking about. I mean, it it it. it I don't know what kind of effect it had on, on a societal level, but it, 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 it kind of, for me, it just defined um, a, a sort of anti-establishment, um, revolutionary attitude and, and anarchy uh, at, a, at a time when, when those qualities were suddenly becoming much more accepted and mainstream in, in American
0: culture.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can't... I wish I put that down. Yeah, I mean, I think... I mean, it's 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 hard to relate to it, I guess, in a way, in a time where we have, you know, access to all kinds of counterculture stuff at, at our fingertips online. It, it Back, you know, when we were growing up, uh, it, it took a, you know, it took a movie coming out for people to go, oh, I recognize that. And you'd find like-minded people around around a film, uh, I think it had more impact then because there was less there was less you know counterculture stuff that was actually being put out there for everybody to see. And it was it, it may have been um, you know harder to come by some of the written material uh, that you know the, the intelligentsia was all agreeing about. But when it came to like pop culture to have these movies that were truly subversive, you know, say what you will about them, that that they truly represented subverting the status quo and what we'd call the patriarchy today. Even though there's plenty of patriarchy, I guess, in this movie, but uh, it, it, I just think because there was less stuff like it when it happened, it was more important. It felt more galvanizing, I would imagine. You know, um,
2: I, can, I can also say that as a as a uh, as a 13 year old when this came out and seeing it that you know I had already grown up in a world where where at 13 I had seen you know I had seen Kennedy uh, you know or lived through Kennedy being assassinated Bobby Kennedy being assassinated Martin Luther King being assassinated the, the 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 march marches in Selma you know growing up in California and and New York at that age and this feeling that 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 what you saw in 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 popular culture was not in any way reflecting the 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 underlying insanity and and hypocrisy of what was going on the power struggles at that time and and it and films like this as silly and innocuous as they seem on one level did a lot to to sort of make you feel like okay I'm not I'm not crazy there are other people that are seeing um, yes. They're,
0: they're yeah. Like, and, and in 1967, for, for ha- half of that year, I lived with a, a stepfather who was very much in line, almost in terms of personality and in a value system, for everything that Peter Sellers and Ringo Starr are standing for in this movie of like, question, you know, that that time of living with 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 franklin was very much you know he was he was on board with everything that this movie was about
2: and burned it down
0: yeah uh and and so i i think you and i adam you know having a a dad in the arch at that time were around and exposed to a lot more people who would think about and say these kinds of things than most people in the country at the time.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, do you know, um, this is uh, another movie that came out around the same time, English film, you know, the movie if
0: yeah. 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 the taking over the high school.
1: Yeah. Lindsay Anderson's movie. Yeah. Um, this came out a year before, so I mean that talk about a subversive movie. That's that's a that's a that's pretty subversive. That's like I don't you couldn't make that movie today, literally. They you couldn't do that. Uh, His for, other
2: film, Lucky Man, was was uh, a, a hugely uh, influential movie. Oh, Lucky the, Man, yeah. Oh, oh, Lucky Man, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, and Britannia Hospital as well. I mean, but he was also like this sporting life. He was he was a great, great director. But it's interesting how, you know, this stuff was in the air at that time. And I, I'm actually, I'm actually surprised that if it, was bef- it came before <coughs> Magic Christian, it's just, it's, uh, it's got a similar level of anarchy, but but I'm not sure hand on it. It
2: was more, uh, more threatening that movie as I recall.
1: Yeah, it's not really a comedy actually um it is extraordinary to me
0: though that it's the same cinematographer as 2001
1: isn't that crazy
0: jeffrey the, only, the only place i can see any similarity is between the scene is the apes and the ape on the ship <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's
0: that's the only place i see any similarity between the two movies
1: yeah this is it's amazing that he did i mean he he made some great stuff uh unsworth also did um um what else did he do cabaret which is a beautifully shot movie um zardoz
2: another indication that that, that the director just didn't really have a handle on stuff
0: Yeah, because this this movie looks like it was shot on a super eight camera it looks like it was shot, you know, when when you and I were making that movie. Do you remember that movie? Yeah. In 1967 in in London with the yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's got the same quality as that.
1: Um, yeah, it's amazing that the same guy, but I guess that just shows you kind of like how much Kubrick shot 2001 a little yeah. bit because, you know, his other movies look more like this than they oh. looked like 2001. Jeffrey Unsworth, great TP. Zardoz is no slouch of a movie as in terms of the cinematography. It's a bit of a slouch of a movie in terms of everything else. I thought Zardoz
0: were those candies that exploded in your mouth.
1: Those are zots, Matthew. Oh, OK. <laughs> um,
0: yeah. Hand check. Jack, Jack
1: Just one. Sorry. Uh,
2: no. <laughs> well, boys. Have we talked about
0: the magic? I think we've talked about the magic Christian as much as it can be talked
1: about um yeah I got I got nothing smart to say a, a about it other than I do have a lot of affection for this movie I will see this movie again I will I will over the years pro- see it probably several more times <laughs> well uh,
0: uh, next week we will have our Halloween episode that's we'll- right. We'll be talking about The Howling.
1: We will indeed.
0: The Howling with the wonderful D. Wallace Stone.
1: Directed by the great Joe Dante. There we go.
2: Hey, in honor of Halloween, do you want to see a magic trick?
1: (laughs) Yeah, sure. Here. Yeah. All
2: right. Here. Oh,
1: that's pretty good. Thank you. That's pretty good. Wow. I don't know how you, you do split screen. Do you have a like a you have, I don't know how you do that.
2: I, I have a team of guys up in the corner with uh, pulleys and and and, uh,
1: and you mono, just
2: monofilament.
1: You're always experimenting and tinkering with movie stuff around the house. I love that. You're just building cameras and have teams of people working on so shots man. and stuff. It's so cool. Hand check.
0: Hand
1: check.
0: <laughs> Oh, All <laughs> well, right. Uh, so next week, uh, The Howling.
1: Uh, the Howling.
0: Monday night on Creative Conversations at uh, 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific. I'm interviewing uh, my very good friend, author Heidi Mastro Giovanni, uh, author of uh, the La La Pettibone series. Could
1: you, could you say her name? I just need to hear that name again, clearly.
0: Heidi Master Giovanni.
1: Thank you. You're
0: Thank welcome. You. She's the author of the Lala Pettibone series. Lala Pettibone's Act Two um, is the first in that series, and we'll be talking about that on Monday night. So uh, please come back and join us and subscribe to this channel if you haven't already so you get notifications of our upcoming live streams and come back uh, next Wednesday to talk about The Howling.
1: What if we have shows that we want to talk about that we're doing after the show?
0: Talk about no everything. I
1: don't have any but like if we did we could talk if
0: about you it did, right. you can talk about everything you're doing okay Talk about what you're doing Adam what are you what are you doing what are you cooking what are you
2: it's, it's, it's premature okay uh I don't want to jinx anything
0: all right but, um
2: but it involves you know
0: but a, Tony you have something that just like went up that won an award somewhere right or went into a festival?
1: I didn't win it. We didn't win an award yet. Yet. Operative word. But uh, no, I'm involved in a, 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 I'm in a short film uh, and edited a, this film uh, that I made with a couple of my dear friends, uh, Jacob A. Ware and Trish Harnett. So we made a, a short film called uh, You Wouldn't Understand. Where we and- see it online. Not right now. It's it's in the festival circuit, but it's it, it's gotten into like ten festivals. It's it's been really fortunate. Uh, it's had a it's had a really nice little run, and um, uh, can uh soon no. Your brother huh? see it. Can your brother see it? Even though it's yeah, not- my brothers can see it. My okay. brothers, your yeah, brother can see it. Um, so there'll be a private, some kind of a private handshake link that we can set up with the brothers if they, you know, we'll talk about private, that. private handshake, but, uh, but it's uh two hands, but it's, um, but yeah, it's, it's getting into a bunch of festivals and we're, we're excited about that. So, um, yeah, that's, the, that's nah. great.
0: Congratulations.
1: Thank you. All right. Well,
0: I'm going to roll the end credits and, uh, I'll see you guys in a little bit.
1: Yes, you will. All right.
0: Oh, Hey, and we got to tell people to go to our website.
1: Right, because there's yeah. stuff on there.
0: Yeah, there's merch. There's other episodes of the show. You should be subscribed to the show.
1: There's so many episodes, but there's merch and there's stuff and yeah. there's gifts for people. Yeah. There's a
0: T-shirt. There's a, a Silverado poster. All kinds of great stuff. So and check stuff, it out
1: stuff is coming up too. We'll be adding stuff to it. Yeah. So check it out at ArkandBros.com.